And the truth is, whatever name is on our church, this is always going to be a priority for us. To devote ourselves to God's word, to open it up together, to come under it and to be changed by it. And today we're going to look at Psalm 107. I hope you have that open there in front of you or you can uh, follow along as we go on the screen. But it'll be uh, good for us to look at this psalm. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Psalms is a collection of songs and poems and prayers. And there is a psalm for just about every emotion in life. There is a psalm for just about every occasion in life. And today is a significant occasion in the life of our church. As I mentioned, it's the day that we officially become Oasis Church. And the reason I wanted us to turn to Psalm 107 is because this psalm is an invitation to gratitude. This psalm is a call to thankfulness. Here's how it begins, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord. The purpose of this psalm is to call the people of God to give thanks to God. And this is what I want to invite us into today. And the truth is, as a church, we have a lot to be thankful for. Just in the last 12 months alone, we've celebrated our 30th anniversary as a church. We've welcomed a bunch of new members. We've given away $30,000 to the New Life Orphanage in Myanmar and to Scripture Union Chaplaincy. We've paid off our building. We've moved from two to three services on a Sunday. And we've also navigated the name change process with incredible unity. We stand ready to move forward together on the cusp of this new season. We have so much to be thankful for. And this is why Psalm 107 is fitting for us on a day like today. We don't just want to barrel ahead into the new year. We don't just want to barrel ahead into this new season. We want to stop, we want to pause, and we want to give thanks to God. Though you might be thinking, Adam, I agree with this and this is great. It's wonderful that as a church we have so much to be thankful for. But if I'm honest, personally speaking, I'm not feeling very thankful at all. I mean, I'm going through something really difficult right now. My life's been really hard for the last couple of years, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. I mean, I'm a bit nervous about the future. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried for my kids. I'm frightened about my health. I feel distant from God. I'm not feeling particularly thankful. Now, if that's you, if, if that's the, the place that you land in this morning, then Psalm 107 is actually the perfect place to turn. Because Psalm 107 doesn't just tell us to be thankful and then move on and just leave it there. Psalm 107 actually gives us the reason that we can always give thanks, that we always have a reason to be thankful, no matter what we might be going through, no matter what the future might look like tells us the reason we have to always be grateful. Here's what the psalmist goes on to say in verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. The reason we can always give thanks is because God has always and will always love His people. 
no matter what we might be going through, no matter what the future might look like, God's love endures forever. And in fact, this is exactly the idea behind this word love. It's an incredibly important word in the Bible. In Hebrew, it's the word chesed. And you've got to say it with that guttural sound, chesed. I'm sure the Dutchies would be good at saying it. It's got that real guttural sound. Now, this word literally means loyal love, faithful love, steadfast love. It's love that's unwavering, unfailing, unending. Or as the message translation puts it, it is love that never runs out. This is how God loves his people, with a love that never runs out. This is why Psalm 107 is in the Bible, to remind us, to tell us of God's faithful love. In fact, this is what the psalmist goes on to say four more times. Did you pick it up as Ben read it? Four times this phrase is repeated. Let them, the the people of God, the redeemed, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For his unfailing love. It's the same word as in verse 1, chesed. The people of God are to give thanks to God for his faithful, loyal, unfailing love. Or as Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in the Jesus Storybook Bible, a children's Bible that is just um, really excellent and worth getting. She says, God's love is a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Now, we'll often say, won't we, well, God loves you. God loves me. But we'll say it a a little bit flippantly, I think. Of course God loves us. It's his job. But I wonder if we understand what it truly means. I wonder if we understand the depth and the gravity of what it means to be loved by God. I mean, just imagine for a moment that God really does love you with an unchanging, unfailing, never-stopping, always-and-forever love. Just imagine that God can never love you more than he loves you right now and that he will never love you less. How would that change your life? Imagine if that was true. Now, let's be honest. We don't always believe this is true. Basil Hume was a bishop in London in the 1900s. He claimed that Christians find it easier to believe that God exists than to believe that God loves them. I mean, I don't think many of us get out of bed in the morning and our first thought is, the God of the universe deeply loves me. I think more of us get out of bed in the morning thinking the opposite. I'm not sure if God really loves me. I'm not sure where I stand with God. I don't think he wants anything to do with me. And this is why Psalm 107 is in the Bible. This is why the psalm ends with this challenge, this invitation. Look at verse 43. Let the one who is wise... Oh, it's going to be a very wise thing to do what he goes on to say. Let the one who is wise heed these things. Pay attention to these things. And ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. The truly wise person will pay attention to God's love. They won't take it for granted. They won't move on from it. 
They will think about it. They will consider it. They will be changed by it. And this is what Psalm 107 is all about. It is an invitation to give thanks to God for his unending, unfailing, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. But here's the really important question. Who can lay claim to God's love? Who can claim God loves me? Who can rest in God's loving arms? Well, the psalmist goes on to tell us in verse 2. Look what he says. He says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Who can kind of rest in God's love? Well, it doesn't say let the strong tell their story. Let the religious tell their story. Let the moral tell their story. It says, let the redeemed tell their story. In other words, those who have been rescued. That's what the word redeemed means. You see, those who can rest in God's love, it's not those who have climbed some kind of religious ladder. It's not those who have discovered some kind of spiritual secret. It's those who have been rescued. Now, Molly and my wife and, and my kids, we recently got away for a couple of weeks in January to the Sunshine Coast. It was beautiful. We had a great time. And while we were there, there was a cyclone offshore. And so one morning, we went down to Coolum to, to check it out. And we were watching the waves. There were huge waves. It was really choppy. The beaches were closed. No one was allowed to be swimming. But sure enough, someone was out in the surf swimming. And sure enough, after a little while, they put their hand up. And a jet ski goes out into these massive waves to rescue this person. They arrive, they grab them, they throw them on the back of the jet ski, and then they have to slowly and safely make their way back to shore. Now imagine how you'd feel if you were the person that had been rescued. You'd probably feel a little bit silly for, for going out in the water while the beach was closed. You'd also probably feel incredibly grateful for being rescued. I mean, you didn't have to kind of prove yourself to the jet ski riders before they would come out and rescue you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You were doing the wrong thing. All you had to do was stick your hand in the air. And at great risk to themselves, these lifesavers came out and they rescued you. And this is a picture of how God loves and rescues us. We don't earn it, we don't have to prove ourselves, and we certainly don't deserve it. And yet, when we cry out to God, when we put our hand in the air, he draws near to us and he rescues us. Now, you might wonder, well, who is God willing to rescue? Who is God willing to, to, to bring into his embrace? Well, look at what the psalmist goes on to say in verse 3. Those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. In other words, the answer is anyone from anywhere who cries out to him. God's redemption is worldwide. It goes to every corner of the globe. It includes anyone who will cry out to him. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter who you are. If you cry out to God, he will rescue you. But again, here's the truth. So many people today don't believe this to be true. 
I mean, I'm, I've lost count of how many people that have said to me, Adam, if I was to walk into a church building, the roof would fall down. It's this idea that God is somehow reluctant to rescue. That God is hesitant to forgive. Now, now where did we get that idea from? It's not the Bible. Psalm 107, it tells us something very different. It tells us a God who will receive and rescue and redeem anyone from anywhere who cries out to him. And to really drive this point home, because you know what? We really need it to be driven home. We forget this. We, we, we take this for granted. To really drive this point home, God's willingness to rescue, the psalmist gives us four pictures of rescue and redemption. He tells us four stories of someone or a group of people who were in danger or they were in need and they cried out to God and God rescued them. And these four stories, these four pictures, they're meant to encourage us, to show us that God will rescue anyone from anywhere who cries out to him. They give us an incredible picture of God's love. Very quickly, firstly, it shows us that God's love is the love. The first scenario shows us that it is the love that brings us home. See, in the first scenario, you've got these people, they're wandering, they're lost in the desert. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they don't know where to go. They can't find their way out, and they're fading away. Look at verse 4 and 5. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Now, this is a picture of humanity apart from God. Lost, hungry, thirsty, dissatisfied, exhausted, empty. Now, perhaps this describes your life right now, or perhaps it describes where you once were. Wandering from place to place, from experience to experience, from job to job, from house to house, from relationship to relationship, but never finding what you're looking for. This is the story for so many people. This is how life goes for so many people. It's a constant chasing after the wind. Do you remember the book of Ecclesiastes? One of my favorite series ever to preach. The author of Ecclesiastes, he had everything this world could offer. Look at what he said, chapter 2, verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. Whatever I saw I had, whatever I wanted, I took. And what was the result? Verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. We're made for more than just the things of this world. And this is what we discover when we cry out to God. Look at verses 6 and 7. These wanderers in the desert. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. When these wanderers cry out to God, he doesn't ask them to do anything. He doesn't ask them to go anywhere. All they do is they cry out and God comes to them. God rescues them and God leads them home. He leads them, we're told, by a straight way to a secure city. And we're actually given a picture of this city at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 7. We see a multitude of people from every tribe, nation, tongue, language. They're gathered before the throne of God. And look at what we read about them. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. They're not in the wilderness anymore. They're not wandering anymore. 
For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the city that we were made to settle in. This is the home that our hearts long for. And this is where God leads the wanderers who cry out to him. It's the love that brings us home. But secondly, God's love is also the love that sets us free. You see, if verses 4 to 9 picture us as lost and wandering in the wilderness, then verses 10 to 16 picture us as trapped and enslaved. You meet a group of people and they're in a dark dungeon. They're locked up. They're in chains. Look at verse 10 and 11. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. Now, this imagery here, it speaks to the slavery of sin. You see, our sin does not set us free or make us happy. It makes us feel good in the moment. It might give us a rush for a little while, but ultimately it traps us and it degrades us. And we're not just talking about the obvious things like drug and alcohol abuse or pornography or compulsive lying or uncontrollable anger. Now, all of those things can and do trap us. But it can also be more subtle. It can also be our self-righteousness. I mean, we might be a very devoted church person, but we end up trapped in a prison of pride and judgmentalism and bitterness. Or it can be our greed and materialism, very subtle in in our culture, but we can end up trapped in a prison of selfishness and envy and discontentment, always wanting what others have. I mean, on and on we could go. Sin does not liberate us, it traps us. And the answer again is not to look around, but to look up. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. See, the moment we cry out to God, the moment we cry out to Jesus, we're freed from the penalty of our sin. We're freed. We come no longer under God's judgment. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't continue to wrestle with sin. It doesn't mean that we don't continue to wrestle with temptation and addiction. It means that though we continue to fight the battle, we know how the war ends. And we can fight from a position of victory. We can engage with a heart full of hope because we know that ultimately sin, evil, and death will be defeated and will be free forever in the presence of God. It's the love that brings us home. It's the love that sets us free. And thirdly, it's the love that makes us whole. See, we're not only lost and in need of direction. We're not only trapped and in need of liberation. We're also sick and in need of healing. This is the image we're given in verses 17 to 22. And again, this is a picture of humanity apart from God. Sin and foolishness has harmed us. And this is true both physically and spiritually. I mean, sin brought physical death into the world and every sickness is a shadow of death. But sin also brought spiritual death into the world. We're not born alive to the things of God. We're born without a spiritual pulse. And we need God to make us alive. And when we look to him, the moment we look to him, this is exactly what he does. Look at verses 19 to 20. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Now notice what it is. Notice how God is healing us and making us whole. It's through his word. 
God's word is what sets us free. God's word is what makes us alive. Jesus said to us, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, how many of us could testify to the truth of this reality? You know, there was one time in our lives when we heard the word of God and it set us free. It, it, it opened our eyes. It made us whole. It gave us life. Because God's great love is the love that brings us home. It's the love that sets us free, the love that makes us whole, and fourthly and finally, it's the love that gives us peace. You see, the final group of people that the psalmist writes about, they're in a storm at sea. The rain is pouring down, the wind is howling, the waves are crashing over the side of the boat, and they are terrified. Now, what's this scenario telling us about us? That we shouldn't become sailors? Not quite. It's telling us that not only are we lost, not only are we enslaved, not only are we sick, but we're also powerless. There's an old proverb that says, if you don't know how to pray, try going to sea. I mean, it's true. If if you have a 30-meter wave bearing down on you, there is nothing you can do to stop it, and there is nothing you can do to avoid it. And this is true for our lives as well. There are so many storms we face in life and we are powerless to do anything about them. So many storms that come along in our lives that shatter our illusion of control. We can't stop them, we can't change them, but there is someone we can turn to in the midst of them. Look at verses 28 and 30. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. You see, God is the only one who can ultimately carry us through the storms of life. doesn't mean he's going to solve all our storms on this side of eternity. doesn't mean we're not going to face any storms. It just means that he is ultimately the Lord of the storms, and he is the only one that can carry us safely through them to the other side. Do you remember what Jesus did during his life on earth? Big storm on the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 4, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. And what happened? The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus is the only one that can give us peace in the midst of our storms and bring us safely through them. In fact, this whole psalm is really ultimately about Jesus. He is the great redeemer. He is the one that shows us God's great love. I mean, because Jesus left his home in heaven, we can be brought home to God. Because Jesus was nailed to the cross in our place, we can be set free from our prison of guilt and shame. Because Jesus' body was broken on the cross, we can be healed and made whole. And because Jesus endured the ultimate storm of God's wrath on the cross, we can have peace with God forever. We can receive the faithful love of God freely. And this great love is for anyone from anywhere who will cry out to God. It's the love that brings us home. It's the love that sets us free. It's the love that gives us peace and the love that makes us whole. And today as a church, we're we're changing our name, but our mission, our purpose, our calling, it remains the same. To show and to share God's great love with more people. 
to help more people find this love and this life that is in Jesus. And we're going to move forward and we're going to do it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love, your faithful love, a love that is never-ending, never giving up, never stopping, always and forever. Lord, forgive us for those times where we've taken it for granted. Forgive us for those times when we've forgotten it, when we've minimized it. Lord, this morning we want to give thanks to you for your unfailing love. And Lord, as we move forward into this new season as a church, we ask and we pray that you would fill us by your Spirit so that we might see and help more people to find and to experience and to receive this great love. And we pray this in Jesus.